Welcome to Pitch Deck Series 5, where we'll be having bite-sized conversations with established investors in early-stage startups. Looking to provide you with great nuggets of information when raising or considering raising seed capital. Pitch Deck is supported by Trumpet. If you work in sales or marketing and are tired of spending hours a week creating sales decks, then Trumpet is for you. Design personalized, interactive and trackable mini sites in a few clicks. Stand out from the crowd whilst also giving your customers a seamless experience from pitch to onboarding. To find out more, visit www.sendtrumpet.com. That's sendtrumpet.com and join the best in brass. So I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Maya Mufranek to our Pitch Deck studio today. Maya is a multicultural and multilingual Google and American Express marketing, product and partnership professional with 15 plus years of experience in tech and D2C. Currently, as founder of a strategic growth consultancy, marketingcube.co, her clients include portfolio companies of Borderton, Notion, Creandum, Local Globe, amongst others. She has also joined advisory boards and is an active angel investor. As a full stack CMO, Maya is able to support with identifying understanding customers, creating a standout brand, revitalized messaging that encourages loyalty sustainable and profitable growth plans, and org design and talent management. Most recently, as an in-house full-time role, she was digitizing the UK healthcare industry at Pharmacy to You by bringing repeat prescription management online. Under her CMO leadership, Pharmacy to You grew fivefold in revenue and secured a brand awareness of an incredible one in four. This growth was recognized by Amazon Growing Business of the Year Award and making it into the Sunday Times Tech Track 100. Wow, what an intro. Delighted to have you here. Thank you, Nick. So let's just dive straight into the angel investing side of things. So obviously, you're a marketing expert, a D2C expert. Is that what you also tend to angel invest in or does your scope go broader? My starting point with my angel investing is really empathy. I find it much easier to assess an idea or an opportunity when you can relate to the problem at hand to some at some level. So I look at the problem, you know, that the founding team is trying to solve. I'm looking to see if I have any empathy toward the audience uh, who might be experiencing that problem. So really, it starts there. Obviously, there's the odd wild card of a cool idea somewhere and a diversification play somewhere too. But really, it usually starts with that for me. Is it a problem worth fixing? Because we're mostly talking about tech startups here. I also ask myself, do I see technology being able to make a significant uh, positive impact in solving this problem? So those are the elements I kind of initially uh, think through as I look through an idea or a, a startup opportunity to invest with. As you mentioned, obviously, you know, there's a very important, can I add value beyond the investment that I might be able to provide? So obviously with my health tech background with pharmacy to you, I get some founders in the health tech space coming towards me, contacting, seeing if I'd be interested to partner with them because obviously health, this health tech industry has its own set of regulations and considerations. My experience with marketplaces, B2C, D2C, uh, also is an area where I feel 
comfortable supporting and sharing a bit of the wisdom that I collected along the way. So those are some of the elements that I uh, look at when I consider an investment. And I'm always interested to know like where uh, an angel's expertise lie. Does that mean that when you look and look at an opportunity, you might approach it with more cynicism than someone who isn't in that field. So for example, when you see health tech potential investments, because you know, like, you know, really what needs to go into that, does that make you more cynical on an opportunity than someone who's not in that field, for example? Yeah, that's interesting. I guess obviously, you know, there's a bit of like ignorance is bliss in some cases. And so you might find, might look at something and think, oh, that's really cool, but you don't realize how hard it might be to build something like that. I'd like to think that I become more of a realist when I look at those opportunities in the sense that, you know, I've worked in health tech. I really am interested in that space. So I get excited about the opportunity that uh, there's so much still to be disrupted by technology in that world. So I definitely are naturally very excited about those opportunities. But I think it makes me a realist to know how hard it is to sometimes partner with the NHS or get something approved or the amount of lobbying you have to do sometimes in some of the spaces to move the technology agenda while protecting patients, for example. So I like to think I'm a, I'm a realist when that happens, but I, I, you know, I can see how in some cases maybe you, you get discouraged before people have even started because you know how hard it is. Yeah, that makes total sense. And in the, in the D2C, B2C world, you know, obviously that, that's your bread and butter and you're, you know, you're an expert in that field. What are you looking for? I, I, I like to focus on this podcast, Pre-Seed Seed. So when, when you see a D2C opportunity at, at the early stage, what are you looking for from that founder or, or the idea in itself that you think, okay, this, this could be a, a standout? So I guess there's two sides to that answer. On one side, I obviously have some areas of interest. So I'm particularly interested in underrepresented founders, especially female founders, but also under underrepresented industries like femtech and parentech. I mean, we'll have seen the news of Serena Williams raising a fund to support diversity under represented founders. The penny dropped for her when she heard that less than 2% of venture money goes into female founders. So obviously, you know, I do pay special attention to, to those kind of opportunities and the, the positive change that they could bring about to a specific audience or society at large. But when, when we talk about, you know, what do I look for specifically in those early ones, it kind of crosses past a bit and what I'm also looking in a deck, to be honest. And very often I find that B2C, D2C and those early founders, and we'll cover the kind of what makes a good founder and specifically what I look in for founders. But in the idea itself, what's really important, I think, is when I see people spending so much time describing their features and how their product is going to work and all that, that's where they kind of lose me because what I want to know in those early stages, because that requires no investment and barely any time at all, is have you spoken to your potential customer audience? Are you able to truly articulate the solution's benefit to, that you're trying to solve here? Really focusing on, you know, really understanding what might differentiate you from alternatives or direct competitors. Really be in that, you know, 
being able to step in the, in the customer's shoes. And obviously my bias is very much a marketer's bias. And that's why I'm talking about the customer here and really the benefit to them. I'm sure others will have, you know, market side biases and others. And I obviously look at those too. But in the very early stages, literally the idea stage and what you can do as a side hustle, you can always find people to talk to that could be in your target audience to better understand them and better articulate the benefits of your product. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, I would say that goes across the board B2B too. You know, if you yeah. fully understand your customer and what they want, then you're inevitably going to build a better product. So I think exactly anyone listening, I think that that's great advice. And as you say, that doesn't cost you anything to go and speak to people. So you preempted this question. So let, <laughs> let's move on to the, the founder themselves. So obviously you've talked about underrepresented founders and female founders, which is great. I love that. But their their let's let's say their personality, you know, their what what's below the bonnet. What when you have that first thirty minute chat with them, if you like the deck, what are you looking for? So a couple of things. I think founder product fit is always a good start, right? Have you experienced that challenge yourself? How did you come up? up with this idea? What what makes you qualified to try to solve for it? It's a double-edged sword, however. On one side, they're well-informed and they, they kind of have this, you know, founder product fit and they're really dedicated at making, making it better for them or their, you know, environment. However, it's a double-edged sword because if they then think they know completely the target audience and the challenge that they're personally trying to solve and they don't want to learn more about it and don't want to explore beyond that, that becomes a challenge. So I tend to, to check for that. But on the kind of fundamentals of a founder, I think you really need to be super self-motivated. It's the loneliest job there is, I think. And I know something about that by being, uh, you know, a, you know, running a portfolio career myself. It's really me and friends, as I say, but mostly me. So really self-motivated. No one's going to, you know, I mean, until you get investors, I guess, um, and it's a bit too late if at that point you're still not self-motivated, but I think that's really important. <laughs> Your resilience, obviously, there'll be so many no's and lows. That's kind of what I call them so you better be ready to like hear them and keep on going but also learning from them right and so willingness to learn and be proven wrong and and readjust and reconsider again so i think that becomes essential because even if startup don't not all startups go through major pivots they definitely go through a zillion mini pivots right and so so you need to be able to ride those waves I have unfortunately found some great founders, but they end up surrounding themselves with kind of people that don't really have the right experience, that are not kind of hands-on operators. And so I find that they often lose a lot of time trying to listen to that advice or figuring what it means or take so much counsel that they almost waste time instead of trying it out. So really seeing who they have surrounded themselves and why, right? What they think those people can add to them. So that also is something I've been looking at. Yeah, that actually leads me on to a, an interesting question because I hear varying bits of advice on this. So in, in a pitch deck where you have advisors, like how much mm. weight do you put on those advisors when you're just reading the pitch deck? I mean, just from experience, the number of startups with who I do barely any work with have asked if they could use me on their pitch deck. And I always say no, unless I'm really involved with them. I definitely am very, you know, suspicious of those slides. So I always ask what exactly are they doing for you? What's their time commitment for you? And what are you hoping, you know, why are they here surrounding you? And what is it exactly that you hope to get by um, getting their advice? So I think it's a, you know, it's a bit of this 
you know, nice to have slides, but a bit superficial in some cases. So I, I always ask more information. If you have truly great people surrounding you and, and really involved with you, that's great and absolutely showcase it. But almost, yes, showcase their, their background, but I would like people to articulate exactly what they're getting from those advisors to the slides. Yeah, that makes total sense. And the, the, the points you made about the founders, I totally agree with. There's some excellent points in there. The tricky question on that is, when, you know, when you're in a 30-minute call with them, how do you gauge? Because, you know, those are very sort of like personality-led things. Is it a gut feel for you? Yeah, I think it, um, I've learned that through uh, learning to well interview customers, right? Um, and not doing product validation questions, but actually context conversation. I think it really starts with like, what led you here? Why are you doing this? A bit about their background, you know, like what led them to the entrepreneurial route? Does that run, is that, you know, a completely new thing for them or not? Um, I think that, you know, that, that helps really to see the, the type of people they are. So it definitely doesn't have to do anything with their ability to, per se, you know, experience with the vertical or the audience. It really comes back to, you know, their context and what led them here. And I find that, you know, resilience, for example, you, you discover resilience in people when they say they immigrated multiple times. You find resilience in people when you realize they had to change school and learn new languages. You find resilience in a different example. So I think it's just being a bit creative about what resilience really means. It doesn't mean you pivoted startups before. It just means you you know what it means to get to say no or to start over or things like that. So I think you, we just need to be a bit more creative about what those really mean. Yeah, totally get that. More more of the personal element rather than, than the business element necessarily. Right. So let's quickly dive into the, the sort of pitch decks themselves. And I'm, because of your expertise, I'm going to focus on sort of B2C, D2C brands here. How much weight do you put on the, um, the competition slide? When you're looking at a D2C brand, what, how, how, does, how does competition formulate whether you're going to invest or not? Yeah, so... Often competition is misunderstood for like direct, somewhat direct competitors, people maybe in other markets doing similar things or stuff like that. So I'm always impressed when someone gives me the possible alternatives or hacks that their audiences are doing today to fix somewhat for the pain they're experiencing, as well as possible, you know, similar players in the vicinity. So it's it's important, but I think we have to realize that Around the globe, most people are just hacking solutions to problems that don't really have solutions yet, real fundamental solutions. So, you know, I don't know, before Notion came around, you know, we were doing a mix of Google Docs link to some other website, you know, inserting images and like, you know, sharing in a mix of email and platforms, right? And then Notion brought a whole bunch of things together and made Notion. So we were hacking it, basically. So, so that's what I, you know, if they spend some time considering the real alternatives, I think that would really give the competitive slide real weight. Yeah, I love that. And on the sort of go-to-market, which is obviously more fundamental in B2C, D2C than probably B2B, you could suggest, you know, early stage, are you, are you looking for that, you know, outside the box thinking a bit of pizzazz versus people just saying, we're going to do, you know, social ads and check our cat to LTV as someone who understands it inside out like you do is that enough or, or are you looking for just a bit of ingenious thinking as well well especially because we're talking about right like 
early seed kind of seed rounds and things like that. If your plan is just to get hooked on paid media, it's a bad start, right? So the fact that you might at some point be ready to invest in media and scale in that way, completely agree. But right now, to get your first 100,000 customers, surely there's a way to be extremely targeted, extremely ingenious, and quite cheap or at, you know, literally guerrilla marketing way, right? And so, yes, absolutely. I'd love to see that because otherwise I can, you know, give you the standard slide to include <laughs> for any kind of pitch deck of your go-to-market plan, right? And actually, it's the same to B2B, to be honest, right? I mean, you could do your standard one. I want to see that you understand your audience, that you understand their pathway to find a solution or where do they experience the problem and therefore how are you going to get to them at exactly that moment? And from the the sort of team element as well, obviously that's around the founder, are, are you comfortable with gaps in the team but they're aware of the gaps or would you like to see some some of those gaps plugged around the founder? So I think it's twofold, depending obviously on their stage and their raise, et cetera, that the answer is slightly different, but if you're a solo or a binum of a founder and you have no real team around you yet, or you're slowly building some freelancers, you know, other Upwork support and things like that, I want you to at least give me a point of arrival structure where you're like, I know I need this, I know I need this, and this is approximately when I think is the right time to take the jump. If they're later stage, then or they're actively sourcing already and just waiting for the cash to come in to hire. But that's kind of what, what level of information I'd like to have. Personally, as a marketer, and because I'm not, you know, a, a CTO and I can't help in that space, and I'm more of a kind of front-end customer experience person more than like, you know, tech infrastructure. I personally always kind of think twice if there's no technical founder in the business. And obviously the, the technology innovation aspect of it is important because I just, you know, it's a risk. It's a gap I can't help plug or even find the right, help them hire the right person is not in my specialty. And so, so that's where I become kind of then I revert to looking at what other angel investors are considering coming in, if they have a technical background, asking them about their opinion on that or how much they're planning to quickly help to fix for that. So, you know, those are some of the things I would consider before deciding to go or not. And in terms of this really interests me from a, a B2C, D2C point of view. So let, let's go post pre-seed. So we're sort of heading into the seed now. Do, do you have specific markers, whether it be customers or MRR, that, that says traction to you? Like, what is traction in your world? So in, in the B2C, D2C world, what's interesting is that, you know, I think one marker, maybe just, you know, poor seed or something like that is really, are you able to build a community, have constructive conversation with people who want to engage and contribute to solving that with you. So I think the first stage in all of that is usually some element of community building. Eventually, you know, if you're like more on an e-commerce play or you're more on some kind of, you know, there's some kind of transactional element to that, I think you just need to see that people are willing to, to pay for that product, even as a one-off first, and then seeing what your retention is like. If you're a subscription model, really activation tends to be the, the key moment, right? So you might have a free trial, you might have a lot of people who are willing to try it, but can you actually convert them into paying customers? So, so that's the the elements that I, that I look for, for, for real traction, right? Are you able to get people to kind of put their credit card numbers in? And final question for me is, 
you know, to, to any founders listening in terms of cold outreach to angels, whether it's you or, or any other angels, what advice would you give on how to approach cold outreach? Like, do you try and engage with them first? Uh, what, what should the message look like while attaching your deck? Should you attach your deck with that message, etc.? Yeah. I mean, I definitely get some cold outreach on LinkedIn and other places. Just a quick line that says, like, why are you contacting me specifically, right? And very quickly, that will also answer the, like, what's, what industry you're in and what problem you're trying to solve, right? So that just helps me immediately qualify that this is a space I feel comfortable and I should prioritize looking at the rest. Um, that is always very helpful. Yes, I would say, you know what, attach a deck. I mean, you know, if you... If, you, if you're contacted someone that you feel you can't trust and that's not going to keep your confidentiality and suddenly start sharing your deck with your competition, well, just don't contact them, right? <laughs> so, so, or you have, you know, you know, angels know there'll be no deal flow and that's not ethical to do that, right? Or they won't, they won't be angels for long anyway. So yes, attach your deck, you know, and really take it from there. Because if, if you've qualified why you think I'll, I could help you uh, and why specifically you're interested in my support, then I'll, you know, I'll immediately skim through the deck and just, you know, offer a, a quick uh, conversation. So that, that usually works best for me. If I need to do a bit too much work <laughs> to figure out why me and what is this really, then I, you know, I can't be as, as quick at answering. And that means I need to go back to it. It's not a quick multitask between two calls. It's, I need to spend a little time on it. So that might take me more time where I might never get to. Yeah. So I think, yeah, for anyone listening, personalization of your message when you're reaching out to angels is key. And I totally agree with that. So yeah, some great bits of advice for, for people to take away, especially in D2C and B2C. So really appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming on Pitch Deck. Thank you for having me, Nick. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed it, I'd hugely appreciate it if you can share it on socials or indeed just with your network. If you're feeling extra generous, I'd absolutely love it if you could leave us a review on Spotify, the Play Store or iTunes. That is the only way we get more listeners. So thanks for that. Support for Pitch Deck also comes from Planes Studio. If you've got an idea for a business and want to quickly get a product live, you should check them out. Whether you're a startup or scale up, they help you take your idea, build a prototype and launch it into market before your competitors do. And they'll also keep learning from your customers to only build the features you need as you grow. We've worked with them at Horseplay Ventures, and I can safely say they're some of the smartest product thinkers and builders out there right now. So check out planes.studio.